And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark. The Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 10. We are working on a series on the tail end of it of the vision of God. And we know that how we see God affects how we see everything else. And there's no better way of seeing how God sees things by than by actually going to the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing what He says for Himself. And so if you wouldn't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark, the Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 10, found in the New Testament. And I want to see a subject that he deals with here in the Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 10, and something we want to pull and make an application for ourselves. But the Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 10, and let's pick it up in verse number 17. The Gospel record of Mark chapter 10 in verse number 17. And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, All these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, and take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away greed, for he had great possessions." And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How heartily shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and brothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that occurs twice in this passage? The first one is in Mark 10 and verse 17, the very last phrase, eternal life. Eternal life. That phrase is once again mentioned in Mark 10 and verse 30, the last phrase, eternal life. 
eternal life. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach to you this message on eternal life. Eternal life. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the privilege of being here amongst your people and the great privilege and honor it is to open up your Bible. Lord, I'm asking that you would order my mind and order my steps as we come up and approach your word today, that you would open it up in a special way, that you would make it clear that maybe there's someone in here that doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home. Let today be the day that they have it settled, that they can have this eternal life. Lord, I'm asking that you would search hearts and make it clear. Lord, as for me, I'm just asking again that you would help me to die to self. Fill me with your precious spirit. And I'm trusting for you to get your own work accomplished. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This idea of eternal life. As we examine this passage, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is that eternal life cannot be earned. Eternal life cannot be earned. Now notice this in verse number 17 as we begin this story. And when he, that's Jesus, had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now here's the scene. Jesus is with a multitude of crowd. A crowd, there's a huge crowd around. Jesus has been teaching and he's been going forth. And this man runs through the crowd. And in another parallel passage, it actually describes him that he's a young man. He's a ruler among many. He's clothed in purple. So this man who is dressed very richly, very fancy, he has come in. You could tell he's got some um, reality to him, some uh, pomp, a presence to him. And he comes running through the crowd. He kneels down at the feet of Jesus Christ. And he asks him an important question. What must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now this was his first problem. He wanted to do something to earn eternal life. He wanted to go to heaven. This man wanted to go to heaven like many people do. He wanted to spend eternity in this wonderful place. But his problem is that he wanted to do something to earn it. He wanted to do something. He was wondering if Jesus was going to give him some valiant quest. Go slay the dragon. Go cross over this far mountain peak and pick this one flower. Do this one thing. What can I do that I may inherit, that I may obtain, that I may get this eternal life? Now, he humbled himself. He came to Jesus. Now, Any independent Baptist preacher normally would say, if someone came up, what can I do to have eternal life? Quick, say this prayer! Say this prayer! That's not how Jesus did things. He knows the heart of men. He knows what's inside of people. And he wanted to deal with them because it is a matter of a heart. It's not a matter, did you say a prayer? It's a matter, do you recognize that Jesus is the only way? So this man has come up to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to do something. Now Jesus begins to deal with him and he's trying to work and teach this man 
that there's nothing he can do. Notice what Jesus answers him in verse number 18. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now, Jesus is dealing with this man as man on man. He's not dealing with him as Jesus as God. And so he's approaching this man and giving a truth. Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, and that's God. Basically, we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are righteous. No, not one. He comes up to this man and he says, wait a second, before we start, let me tell you that you're not good and I'm not good. We've all, now Jesus is good, we understand that, but he's trying to understand from a man, there's no man that is righteous. Jesus is the God man, he's the exception, but he's dealing with this man, man on man. Verse 19, thou knowest the commandments. So he says, to this man, you know what the commandments are, you know what the Ten Commandments are, you know what they say, and he goes over them. So he's dealing with this man, and he says, do not commit adultery. We know that Jesus says later on that if you have the idea of impurity in your own heart, you've already committed adultery. Jesus is very clear. We've broken the, this commandment. We have lusted upon people. That's a problem. We have broken this commandment. He goes on. Do not kill. Now, someone says, well, I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, but have you ever been so mad at someone that you wanted to kill them? The Bible says that you've already committed murder in your heart. We've broken this commandment. The Bible goes on and says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Have you ever stole a cookie from the cookie jar? You know, we've all stolen something. We've all taken something that didn't belong to us. Some of us may have stolen time from our employer. You know, that's a sin. The Bible says not to steal. Uh, You know, there's different things other than physical things, but have you ever stole a physical thing? Have you ever gone to a store? Have you ever walked into someone's house and stolen something, taken something that didn't belong to you? We're all guilty of that. Notice as he deals with this man, do not steal, do not bear false witness, don't tell a lie, he's saying. You know, we have a country full of liars. We, we have the idea of exaggeration. The fish was this big. We have the idea of guile. Guile is saying something, it's telling the truth in a certain way to make either you look better or someone else look worse. That's guile. That's something we have a problem on, of leaving out a detail. Have you ever stood outside the principal's office or was getting ready to talk to your parents and you practiced the speech on how you were going to say it so you didn't look as bad or someone else looked a little bit worse? That's guile. That's lying. We're all guilty of it. There's none good. There's none righteous. And he's dealing with this man. And he's going through, hey, you know what the commandments say. You know what the Bible says. He says, don't commit adultery. Have you committed adultery? He says, do not kill. He says, don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Notice this, defraud not. This carries that idea of coveting and trying to get something that's not yours, trying to manipulate things, trying to uh, not be fair with people. Notice this other one, honor thy father and thy mother. Has there ever been a time where you didn't obey your folks? You didn't honor them? You didn't show them respect? That's what that idea of, of honor truly means. It goes beyond the idea of obeying. It has the idea of respecting. If you disrespect your parents, you have broken this commandment. 
Now he deals with this young man. This young man has come up. And the problem is, is that this man thought he was perfect. He thought he was righteous. He thought he was good. And Jesus is dealing with him that you're not good. He says, let's go to the commandments. Some people call this thing the way of the master. That You tell people they're not perfect. To get into heaven, you have to be perfect. But there is none perfect. There are none righteous. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Notice this young man's answer, verse 20. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He says, hey, since I was a kid, I've obeyed all those commandments. I haven't broken a single one. Now, this man thought he was perfect. He thought he was good. But let's just take it at face value. This is a good man. This is a man who is a good moral man. This is a man who has lived a good life thus far. This is a man you wouldn't mind having your kids marry one day. Because he is a good man. But just because you're a good man doesn't make you a godly man. Just because you're a good person doesn't make you a spiritual person. And that was the problem. This man lived a good life. He tried to be religious by honoring what the Bible said. Now, he admits that when he was a child, he messed up. By the way, if you messed up as a child, that's all it takes for you to be disqualified from heaven. How many sins did it take for Adam and Eve to commit to get them kicked out of the garden? Just one. Just one. That's all it took. And so this man, he lived a good life. And he was hoping to come to Jesus and for Jesus to say, you lived a good life. Or that he could do something just to add on top of his goodness to be able to earn his way to heaven. But that's not the case. That's not what can happen. Notice as he goes on in verse number uh, 21, this man says, I've done all this. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Notice that phrase, loved him. Jesus is answering this man. Now, he's dealing with an individual. The things he's about to say is not to the crowd. It's dealing with an individual heart. And he's diving in exactly what this man needs. But notice this, that Jesus loved him. Jesus isn't being mean. He's not trying to pick on the guy. He's loving him. And because he loves him, he's trying to tell them the truth. He's trying to help him. He's trying to say, I'm sorry, you are not good enough. And that's not a popular message. You know what people want sometimes? They want patted on the head and say, there, there, you're good. It's all right. You're going to be able to make it. But that's not what he needed. He needed Jesus to tell him the truth and he needed to get to the heart of the matter. So what does Jesus say? Because he's loving on him, what does he say to him? One thing thou lackest. He says, all right, if you're perfect, there's still one thing you're missing. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to have this eternal life, there's one thing you lack. He says, no, do this. One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast. And give to the poor, and notice this, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. So he said, take your earthly treasures And you give them away and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now, he's not saying in order to go to heaven, you've got to get rid of all your stuff. 
Some of you may have already felt like you've done that, but you don't have to get rid of all of your stuff. He's dealing with an individual on an individual matter because this man had great possessions and there's nothing wrong with having possessions. The problem was is that possessions had him. He loved his stuff. He loved his money. He loved the things that he had. And this one thing was keeping him from giving everything he had to follow after God. That was the thing. And Jesus is dealing with an individual. It reminds me of an old revivalist of Charles Finney. And some people like him, some people don't. But Charles Finney dealt thoroughly with people in salvation. He never said, one, two, three, please pray after me. He always dealt with people's hearts to make sure. As an example, there was a time he had a revival meeting and he had one of the richest ladies in the town that he was preaching in come in and she had big old hoop earrings. I mean, they were just huge. I mean, they were like something that kids can use as like a tire swing. They were just huge. And she came down to the altar and she was broken and she wanted to get saved. And Charles Finley, Finney, uh, some people don't like that he did this, said... Until you get the, you can't get saved until you get those earrings out. Now, is he preaching against earrings? No. But he knew this lady's heart and that she wanted everyone to see her. Everyone to notice her. She was known throughout the town as being the big, rich, fancy one that everyone would try to, you know, she wanted to be the most sophisticated, the most rich. And he identified her problem and put it as the earrings. She was willing to get rid of the earrings. She, it was a show of our heart. She was willing to surrender it all to God. And she did. Now, when Charles Finney dealt with people, they got saved. They didn't... Now, I know there's no, thing as, there's no such thing as save, saved her, and saved this. Once you get saved, you get saved. But when he dealt with people... They completely gave their heart to the Lord. There was no half measures. And that's because he dealt with them thoroughly on dealing with their heart things. And this lady got saved and she became a great asset and working with the church and working with the people and helping others get saved. But he identified her specific problem and pointed out in something physical. That's what Jesus is doing here. He knows this man's heart. He loves this guy. He wants him to get saved. But he knows there's something blocking him. This guy loves his possessions. And he knows that it's going to keep him from coming to the Lord completely. And so he says, get rid of everything you have. Sell it and you'll have treasure up in heaven. But notice something else he says. And come... Take up the cross and follow me. Now, today we use the idea of take up a cross as a Christian cliche. This was not a Christian cliche back in his day. Today we use it as the idea of, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Come on, just kind of carry it on. Keep pressing forward. In this day, that's not what it was. When someone said take up thy cross, the Romans had a death penalty called crucifixion. And when someone would take up the cross, the victim would have to carry the heavy cross beam themselves. And whenever you saw someone uh, carrying a cross, if you saw someone, they were had the cross and they were carrying it and they were going towards the end, you would not make dinner appointments for them next week. You would not schedule a doctor's appointment to see them later on. You, What would happen? You would know that they're never coming back. And so when Jesus says, get rid of your possessions, get everything that you have, 
and follow after me. Take up your cross and follow me. He's telling this man, give up everything that you have and follow me and you're never coming back to your stuff. You know, if the guy felt like he could come back to his stuff, sure, I'll come to the Lord for a while and I'll come back. But Jesus is saying, no, when you come to me, it should be a total change of life. Get rid of everything you have and follow after me. Now, he's dealing with this man's heart issue. He knows what's in this man's heart. And he's saying, you come after me and you take up your cross because you're never coming back to this lifestyle you had before. So this man had to decide, do I have eternal life and follow after Christ and give up my stuff? Or do I keep my stuff, keep my comfort, keep my thing and miss out on this eternal life? And he had to make a decision right then and there. So what is this man going to decide? What is he going to decide? Notice, if you wouldn't mind, verse 22. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. But notice, he went away with all of his possessions. He made his choice. He was sad. He was brokenhearted. Well, I guess I'm not going to make it. Oh, I'm sorry that it just didn't work out the way that I had. But he went back to his stuff. He went back to his lifestyle. He went back to all that he had. And again, Jesus proved he knew what was in the man's heart in the first place. That the possessions had him. And he loved his possessions more than he would love God. He had to make a choice on what to follow. Now again, Jesus is not preaching that we have to give away our possessions. He's dealing with an individual heart matter. What is in your heart that keeps you from coming to the Lord? What would keep you from coming to Christ? We can see, first of all, that salvation can't be earned. You can't do something to get you to heaven. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. You can't give Uh, and do some great quest to go to heaven. It cannot be earned. A second thing I want to show you here is not only can salvation not be earned, eternal life cannot be earned, eternal life cannot be bought. Eternal life cannot be bought. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 23. So this man walks away. He leaves the crowd. Everyone's watching. And so Jesus feels like he has to address the crowd and kind of explain what just happened. Verse 23, Jesus looked round about and saith to his disciples, How heartily can they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? He says, how hard it is for people who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, is it the idea of wealth that keeps people from God? Can rich people not get saved? No, that's not what it's saying. What he's getting across is the idea that as long as people have something they can trust in, they'll trust in that. It's until when you come to Jesus is when you finally realize you have no other way. One of the most heartbreaking illustrations I've ever come into was a lady in Arizona that I dealt with for week after week. I explained to her from the Bible how she can know for sure she's going to heaven, explained about sin, explained about the forgiveness that God has to offer. After weeks of dealing with her, she just we got to the place and she was weeping and she goes, I believe what you're telling me is true. I believe what you're telling me is from the Bible. I believe that's correct. And I said, then why don't you accept Christ? She goes, I can't, I can't. I go, why not? 
She goes, I come from a Mormon family. And a couple of years ago, my 15-year-old son died in a horrible accident. And she goes, us Mormons, we believed for baptism for the dead. So what we did is we had a lot of people line up. And because my son had already died, we had people line up and baptize in order to get him out of hell and to get him into heaven. And so person after person was baptized on his behalf. She goes, if I believe what you said is true, and I go, I do believe it's true. She goes, I also have to recognize my son is in hell now. And I would rather trust in something I don't believe is true rather than give up the hope that I'll never see my son again. You see, as long as someone has something to hold on to, even if it's a false hope, they'll hold on to it and they'll keep it and they'll grasp it with everything they have. This is what Jesus is saying. As long as how heartily it is for people who have riches to to enter into the kingdom of God because people who are trusting their riches to solve all their problems, they're also trusting in their riches to get them into heaven. And that can't be so. You cannot give enough money to the church to go to heaven. Aren't you glad that God hasn't made it where we have to pay a certain amount of money to go to heaven? Uh, The USA um, polls... Uh, several years ago, did a poll of the top 1% of wealth in America. And they asked them to say, list whatever impossible thing that you would be willing to get with your money and how much you'd be willing to pay for it. You know, and they came up with, you know, eternal youth and this and this. And they came up with a list of things. But above and beyond everything else, the top 1% of wealth said they wish they can have the number one above everything else was eternal life. And they were willing to pay the upwards of over $1 million to know that they have eternal life. Do you know that if God had made it a requirement to pay a million dollars to go into heaven, most of us wouldn't have been able to make it. But God has made it so we don't have to pay anything. You don't have to pay money to go to church. And you know how I know that God doesn't care about money to get into heaven? Because he paved the streets and heaven with gold. The thing that people fight wars with is what we use as pavement up in heaven. God's not worried about finances up in heaven. You can't pay your way into heaven. You can't pay enough money to the church. You can't do enough good acts. Notice as the Bible goes on in verse 24. And the disciples were astonished at his words. I mean, this is a major eye-opener. They watched this guy come and to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, get rid of your finances and come and follow me. And the guy chose not to. He turned around, went away sad, but he walked away with all of his stuff. And Jesus said, oh man, it's so hard for people who are rich because they're trusting in those finances to go to heaven. And the disciples went, wow. We we haven't thought about that. They were just astonished. They were amazed. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches 
to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Here Jesus is using two common things that people associate as the biggest common thing and the smallest common thing. A camel and an eye of a needle. Have you ever tried to get that thread through the needle and some people are good at it and some people aren't? But can you imagine trying to get a camel to go through an eye of a needle and trying to squish it in there? Jesus says, for someone who's trusting in the riches for to solve all of their problems, it's just as it's easier to get a camel through the eye of the needle than to get them to stop trusting their riches to solve their problems, even spiritual eternal problems. Because once again, the principle is, as long as someone has something they're trusting in, even if it's a false hope, they're going to cling to it because it's the only thing they have. It's only until we realize that Jesus is the only way that we will open up and grab a hold of him. They have problems with this in India. India, they have thousands and thousands of gods. And one of the problems the missionaries have is that the Indians will accept Jesus and they'll put him right on their platform with the other gods that they have. Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goeth to the Father but by Him. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. You can't trust in baptism to get you to heaven. You can't trust in a prayer to get you to heaven. You can't trust in church membership or because you're an American or because you're a Christian or because you own a Bible. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way we can have that eternal life. We cannot trust in anything else. We can't trust in our goodness. We can't trust in our works. We can't trust in anything that we have. Now notice the disciples. Verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure. Now before it was just wow. Now it's wow I can't speak anymore. Wow. Notice the question. And saying among themselves, who then can be saved if rich people can't get saved? If Now again, it's not the idea of having riches, but people who are trusting in riches. If they can't get saved, this guy walked away and he walked away not saved. Who can then be saved? Who can have this eternal life? Jesus says in verse 27, And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. Notice that with men it is impossible. Do you know if we took the most brilliant minds of all of history, we took an Einstein and a Telsa, we took a Plato and a Socrates, we go Archimedes, we go through all of these brilliant thinkers, Da Vinci, we put them in a room together and say, you come up with a way to get men to have forgiveness they would have come up with doing some great thing, go to church, do this, do that, help little ladies cross the street. But none of them would have came up with the idea for God to send his son to die for us. There is no way for man to come up with a way to save us. If there was another way, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. He said, just do that. But Jesus died on the cross because man cannot get to heaven on his own. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot live a good enough life. Someone may say, well, wait a second. I'm a good person. I live a good life. I mean, I try hard. I, I don't kill 
people. I don't rob banks. Yes, but let's just say that I lived a good life. That I sinned three times a day. I told a little white lie. I got mad at my wife. And I broke the speed limit. Just three times a day. I'm a preacher. I wish I lived that good of a life now. I mean, just to live three, just do three sins a day. That's living a great life. But do you know just sinning three times a day at the end of one year, I would have racked up a thousand sins? At age 20, just sinning three times a day, that's 20,000 sins. At age 50, living a great life, 50,000 sins. Let's say that I died at age 50 just sinning three times a day. And as a preacher, I think I'd break that limit more than that. But let's say that I lived a great life and I died at age 50 and I stood before God with 50,000 sins to my account. And I stood before a holy, righteous God and wanted to go to a perfect heaven. That 50,000 sins would look pretty bad at that time. There's no way I could live a good enough life. Some people think, well, if I take my good works, that what will happen is that there's a weight system when I die and that my good works will somehow outweigh my bad. I'll be able to go right in there. So for every bad thing I do, every lie I tell, if I get a cat off the tree, if I do something good, if I give to the Girl Scouts, you know, I can kind of get that weight system to balance out in my favor. But do you know the Bible says in Isaiah that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags? Do you know what God does with that weight system? He takes all of our stuff that we do without Christ, without His help, without Him doing it, and He puts it on the bad side of the scale. And it weights it down. So our bad outweighs our good by every stretch of the imagination because all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. There's no way we could do it. With man, it is impossible. But here's the hope. But with God, all things are possible. That we can't get to heaven on ourselves. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why he died on the cross. He died to pay the price that you and I owed him. And he did it to give it eternal life to us for free. Which is the third thing I want to tell you. The first thing is that eternal life cannot be earned. The second thing, eternal life cannot be bought. The third thing is that eternal life can be given out for free. Eternal life can be given out for free. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and we have followed thee. In a parallel passage, it said the disciples. So it was pretty much like this. Peter was the spokesperson. The rest of the disciples, they were talking with each other, and then they finally pushed him up. Come on, you ask him. Come on, you ask him. And they pushed him up front, and finally he says, Jesus, I got a question. We have left all, and we have followed thee. You know, they didn't even think about it. Think of uh, Peter and Andrew. James and John, they left their fishing business. James and John, they were working on the nets with their dad when Jesus said, follow me. And they left their nets right there and their dad and their business and followed him. They didn't ask him, what are we getting out of it? They hadn't even thought about it till now. And then they watched the guy walk and he has all of his riches. And they had a question and said, what about us? I mean, we gave up businesses and our families and we gave up everything. I mean, what's going to happen to us now? We... We haven't thought about this yet. 
Jesus answers him, verse 29. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, nor brethren, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. It says the gospels in possessive, it's the gospel's sake. That word sake carries the idea of purpose. So anyone who's left any of these things for the gospel's purpose or Christ's purpose, notice what happens to them. Verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Somehow that with persecutions doesn't make it when we go through the list here, but... Do you know that a lot of church people feel closer to other church people than they do their own kin? Do you know that's a blessing of the Lord? That God has rewarded us with even better relationships with other people? Some, You know, I've got family members that would be nice to see, but I wouldn't want to live with them. I wouldn't want to see them week after week. I mean, you know, we all have that crazy guy that we like, we kind of love, but we want to go to vacation with him. You know, But with our church folks, we can have a better relationship. You know, we have better blessings with God's hand upon us than what we could without. Now, we may not have as much. or You know, we look at sometimes the people who didn't give up anything. But we don't realize how miserable they are, how lonely they are, how brokenhearted. And we have hope. We have joy. And yes, we get persecutions with it, but we still have the Lord. And we have everything else that goes with it. And God promised us blessings here on earth as well as rewards in heaven. We get the double dose here on earth and in heaven. He's calming down the disciples and saying, listen here, boys, it's all right. God's a debtor to no man. I know what you've given up. And God's going to take care of you here. And he's going to take care of you later too. But it comes with the eternal life. That eternal life is free. Just take it. And as you take it, God's going to bless you and he's going to continue to watch over you. He's got plans for you. And by the way, you give up nothing to follow the Lord. Now, this has gone beyond salvation and the idea of following the Lord. But you give up nothing when you follow the Lord. God takes care of you. And there are many people who have left jobs and stuff. The Lord allowed me to be blessed and had the privilege of working medical career field for 15 years. My last medical career field job making 25 an hour. And I quit that to go be a pastor. Did I miss anything? Absolutely not. God takes care of things. God blesses. God rewards. God takes care of all that other stuff. You say, are you in a better situation? Yes, because I have the Lord and following after Him and comes with His blessings. And God has... I didn't give up anything because following after the Lord is the best life. Now, salvation's free. Whosoever will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is a gift? A gift is something you just give. You don't have to work for it. If I was to give you a gift, you don't have to pay me money for it. You don't have to mow my lawn before you open it up. You just have to take it. That's the same thing about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pay money to the church. You don't have to help little ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we should do. 
But the only thing to go to heaven is to accept Jesus' free gift. That's all it is. And then after that, we have the privilege of choosing to follow after the Lord. And God has all kinds of things for us. But the idea of eternal life is that man cannot achieve it himself. It cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. But it is given out for free. And that if you've never come to the place where you are trusting Christ and Christ alone, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. Let me ask you a question like this. Are you 100% sure from the Bible? What do I mean by that? I mean, can you tell me from the Bible, quote me a verse, tell me a verse, how you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Why are you going to heaven? Because the Bible says this. How do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you're saying, well, because I'm a good person instead of the Bible, well, let me clarify things for you. The only way we could get to heaven is because God promised it to us. He's given it to us for free. So are you 100% sure from the Bible that you're going to heaven? If you are not, just like Jesus did with that rich young ruler, I want to love you. And Jesus loved you so much. We want you to know for sure how you can know that you're going to heaven. We want you to know that you know that you know. 1 John 5.13, these things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. The verse before that says that he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not everlasting life, hath not life. The question is an eternal life. It's just as simple as this. How do you know for sure that you have everlasting life? How do you know that you have eternal life? Do you have the Son? If you don't have the Son, then you don't have eternal life. That's a simple thing. Are you 100% sure that you have the Son? And if you have the Son... You have eternal life.